Hello. What are you speaking on this evening, Mike? On a parable. On a parable, that's good, because that's a series. So you're staying on theme. Absolutely right, staying on theme. Which one in particular? Uh, The parable of the lost son. Parable of the lost son. Favourite of yours? Uh, Yes, it is. I like them all. Uh, It's all all the word of God. Um. Absolutely. (laughs) Can we pray for you before you speak to us this evening? You can, you can. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this parable in particular that for some of us may be very familiar, but the message is so important. And we pray that as Mike speaks to us, that you would give him your words, that he would reveal through his words something of Jesus, something of his love for each one of us. Something of that love that never fails, never forgets, never leaves us. Pray that you would speak through Mike. In Jesus' name, Mm. amen. Amen. And Father, as we look at this, I'm praying that you'd open our hearts, Lord. And I don't want to give another, just another talk. I don't want to file this one and get prepared in the next one. I actually, Lord, want to see you moved by your spirit tonight, Father. We're after transformation tonight, Father. We're after honesty, authenticity, reality, and freedom tonight, Father. And Lord, we know that this is what you're about. This is what your son is about. We've sung about it tonight, Father. And we actually want to see transformation. We want to do business with you tonight, Lord. We don't want to control you. We don't want to uh, have expectations around what we want you to do. We just want to be open to your spirit, Lord, whatever you want to do tonight, Lord. So I come tonight not with wise or persuasive words. Lord, my prayer is that you would come, that you would encounter, that you would transform, renew, and restore. Amen. So when I was 11, I was at this school, and um, it, was, uh, it was like, uh, it was like a, a boarding school. I don't know whether anyone like, has been at a boarding school. I didn't really like it. It was kind of like a posh prison. So I decided to, um, I decided to leave, bust out one night. I was 11. Uh, I was about the same size as I am now. Uh, and um, basically, I decided to go. So I got my friends. I got Robbins. I got Gosling. We didn't even know each other's first name. It was so formal. And um, we, decided to, we decided to bust out. And so it's dark. It's cold. It's raining. It's in the middle of nowhere. And we get a couple of Mars bars. And off we go at midnight. I tell you that story because tonight what I want to do, I'm speaking on these parables. I'm speaking on the parable of the lost son, as I've just said. And basically, uh, uh, this uh, theme of leaving, of going, appears in this story. And just to recap, remember this story is told in a particular context. Jesus, basically, he's getting criticism. He's getting leaned on by the Pharisees yet again. They're coming to him. They're saying, why do you welcome sinners and eat with them? And he tells those three stories. We looked at the first two a couple of weeks ago, the parable of the lost sheep. There's a shepherd. He has 100 sheep, and he loses one. He goes after it, and Jesus tells that story because he's saying, my priority is to go after uh, lost sheep. And then there's the story of the lost coin. Can you remember that? And this woman loses a very precious uh, coin. And uh, she searches, she searches, she searches, she searches. And basically, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees that I'm going to search for lost people. And then he tells this story, the parable of the lost son. Now, has anyone read this before? Most of you. I'm going to read it, and one of the problems with familiarity is that we can lose just the, uh, the, the challenge of some of these stories. So let me just read this. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, 
give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I'll set out, go back to my father, say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm actually no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So I'm suggesting tonight this story uh, is about at least lots of things, but at least about four things. The first is that we actually often think as people that we can do life in our own strength and cope well with our own resources. And uh, we're, we're independent, we're autonomous, we're self-reliant, uh, we don't uh, need uh, other people, we don't really need God. And that's clear from this story. So let's just think about this very, very quickly. Now, you've heard the son goes to his father, he says, you know, I want your sh my share of the estate. Uh, he was entitled to a third, and uh, we forget that this was a phenomenally rude thing to do. Uh, he's effectively saying to his old man, look, I just want you dead and I want your money. 
And uh, it's really rude. It's the big two fingers up to God. Everyone listening would have, uh, to the Father, sorry. Uh, everyone listening would have been um, very, very shocked. And uh, what's more, uh, the custom was that even as a father in those circumstances, uh, even if he had handed over some uh, part of his estate, the father would still be able to use some of that until he actually died. But this guy is just gone. He's going. And uh, he's effectively saying, what's more, you know, I don't really care about you. I just want your money. And by the way, when you get old and frail and your teeth fall out and all the rest of it, and the custom is for me as your son to actually look after you, you can just look after yourself. I, I, don't, I just don't care. You're on your own. So give me the money. And the father does just that. He gives him the money. The reality of it is, though, he doesn't make it too far in his own strength, in his own resources. And uh, that was a bit like me when I left school and decided to escape one night, aged 11. Guess how long we lasted? It was just about an hour and a half, because uh, we were out in the fields, it was a bit dark, <laughs> a bit frightening. I'd eaten my Mars bar, and so we all said, let's have a meeting. We go, yeah, let's go back. Uh, and we didn't get very, very far. Uh, the younger son in this story, he doesn't get very far. You know, you've heard the details. He runs out of money. He's initially popular, but then he runs out of money. Then a famine comes. He ends up working with pigs. Again, <gasps> shock, horror for everyone listening, good Jewish uh, people listening. Uh, pigs are unclean animals. And um, actually, uh, only when things get really bad does he turn his mind back to his father. So what I want to suggest, first of all, is that actually we all as people have a tendency to become prodigals and think uh, we can just walk away from uh, our Father in heaven, from God, and do life in our own strength. And our culture actually encourages us to do that. You know, It's all about being autonomous, self-actualizing, uh, all the rest of it. But when we do that, actually, what we miss out on is, is, is we, when we drift from our Father in heaven, we miss out on everything he wants to give us. And he's got huge resources for us. And we uh, have sung about this tonight, the resources and the things he wants to offer us. Now, what does God want to give us? Uh, he wants us near so he can give us at least four things. Here you go. First of all, he wants to give us love. God wants to actually fill our lives with love. Our Father in heaven wants to uh, fill our lives with his love, which is unconditional. Because he loves us, he delights in us, he cherishes us, and uh, he absolutely adores us. And uh, actually, if we're going to uh, do life well, if we're going to be able to uh, actually be all we could be and live the sort of life he wants us to live, we need to know that we are very, very loved and cherished as people. And that's really, really important. So let me ask you, do you how are you feeling on the love uh, score tonight? Are you feeling loved and cherished and honored and delighted in? And uh, your father singing over your life tonight? Because this is what God wants to uh, do. The second thing he wants to give you is companionship 
It's Jesus himself says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And the friendship of God, if you think about it, one of my, one of my um, children was watching the fellowship of the ring as I left tonight. You know, this, this idea of companionship is fellowship, it's friendship with God, it has a Latin root. It actually, um, it actually comes from the French pan, uh, pan, I can't even say it, pan. I don't know, meaning, meaning bread, and there's this sense of you break bread, you break bread with other people, and uh, this is what God wants, he wants companionship with you, uh, and he wants to walk with you in your life, around uh, uni, uh, at work, uh, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, he wants to whisper, because that's what he's always wanted, he wants to walk with his people in the garden, he wants to, uh, in the cool of day, just walk with you and do life with you. And uh, if, you, if you do the prodigal thing, like the younger son in this story, you won't experience that. So are you feeling the companionship and friendship of God in your life at the time, at this time? And, you know, are you, are you, do you sense the presence of God with you, even in the tough times, even in the difficult things, even in the confusing things, even in those things that just don't make sense? Uh, are you experiencing the fellowship with God in the amazing times? Are you experiencing the fellowship, the companionship of God? Because he wants to give that to you. The other thing he wants to do is actually fill you with his life. He describes it as life to the full. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've come that you might have life and life to the full. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so uh, we experience this eternal life today uh, and uh, uh, as we journey with him on into the future. And such is the power of his eternal life that it is even defeats death. And uh, this is an extraordinary thing. Are you experiencing the life of God, the presence of God with you, the power of God uh, working in and through your life in this time? Are you experiencing these things? Are you aware of these things? Are you holding on to these things? And then fourthly, I'm suggesting tonight that God actually wants to give you his joy. He wants you uh, to have joy. And this is different to happiness. Happiness is linked to what happens to us. I don't know about you, but I feel I can sort of be happy one minute and quite depressed about 30 seconds later. Is it just, is it just me? Thanks for nothing. So um, basically, it is just me. But uh, God's joy isn't related or linked to our circumstances. It is actually, uh, a really, it's all about who he, he is and who he is and what he's done in Jesus and what he's done in the past in Jesus and what he's doing in the present in Jesus and also what he's going to do in the future in Jesus. And it's a source of deep, deep joy if you can reflect on that and find that joy in God uh, despite your circumstances. It's an extraordinary thing. Are you walking in the joy of the Lord uh, at this time? So, there's a few things uh, to think about. And the thing is, um, the younger son walks away, but our Augustine said, you know, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. And uh, we need to keep coming back to God as we follow him. I'm, I'm a, a, an expert prodigal. I'm laying my cards on the table. I walk away all the time. I have to keep coming back. And this is the, this is the reality of us as we follow Jesus. So um, 
Can I encourage you uh, to invite people to Alpha? You've got a couple of days. Maybe there's a few people you could scoop up. Maybe you could just bring them along on Tuesday night, you know. And if you're here tonight and you're thinking, I don't really understand half of this and I wouldn't necessarily describe myself as a Christian, could I invite you to come along and to actually come and do these series of seven evenings? And you'd be so welcome. Uh, it's going to be fun. There's going to be food. There's going to be some discussions. I'm going to talk, I think, on Tuesday about, you know, uh, I've forgotten what I'm going to talk about. So don't worry about it. It's going to be gripping. Um, <laughs> maybe. Now, um, that's the first thing. This story, secondly, is about what God is really like. So it's not just about our tendency to do life in our own strength, in our own resources, and just forget God. It's about, actually, what God is really like. Now, I haven't always been a person of faith, a follower of Jesus, and I often used to think God was quite negative or he would sort of be out to get me. And I often had this painting in my mind or similar paintings from religious art as to what God is like. And this is, I think, by Michelangelo, probably in the 15th century. Hopefully there's not too many art busts here. This is the creation of Adam. And if you go on to the next slide, you'll see this. this there's God on the left, the beard. He looks a bit angry, a little bit, maybe a bit disappointed. And he's not quite connected or doesn't quite want to uh, touch Adam's finger. And uh, you get these negative uh, pictures of God. Or there's this other one. I don't know whether you know the poet. Um, this is William Blake. This isn't William Blake. This is a picture by William Blake of God. It's called The Ancient of Days. And this is, I think, painted in 1794. And there's, again, this sense of a distant sort of... Uh, he's got the grey thing going on, the grey beard again. You know, who is God? In your heart of hearts, who is God? What's he like? This story is about this. Now, when I was 17, I borrowed my mum's car. I'd passed my driving test, I think, two weeks. And I said, Mum, can I borrow your car? I've been invited to play in this hockey match. And it was a bit of a reunion of some old mates. And it was going to be a fun, fun weekend. She said, of course you can. And I said, wow. She said, yes. And um, anyway, so I get in the car. I'll speed this story up. I get there, park on some grass, play some hockey. I had a couple of drinks. And I thought, actually, I don't want to drive because I don't want to drink and drive. I said to a friend of mine, could you just move the car back about 50 meters into the car park because it's raining. I don't want to get stuck. He said, of course I can. He reversed the car into a six-foot ditch. And the whole, the whole back end got just squashed. And then I said to another friend of mine, I said, hey, Bill, you know, can you believe it? This is a total disaster. He said, I can't even get the car out of the ditch. He said, don't worry, I've got a four-by-four. I'll go and get my four by four. I've got some lines and ropes and stuff. So then he he'd attached onto the back of the car, drove off. The whole back of the car just came off and left most of it in the ditch. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is a disaster. Uh, and I'm thinking, oh my God, I was going, oh my God, my mum is going to kill me. Uh, I was preparing the speech. I was thinking, oh my gosh, I've totally blown it. And I was going over what I should say. I was feeling a sense of dread. A bit like the uh, younger son here, when he comes to his senses. And uh, basically, you know, he... Um, he basically just feels, he's got his speech prepared, I won't go over that, you've heard that, you know, I'm no longer worthy to call your son, all that sort of stuff, and he's in dread. Has anyone been in one of those situations where you're just thinking, oh my gosh, how's this going to go? Yeah, so, and it, it happens, doesn't it? But basically, uh, this 
story reminds us of what God is like. Now, remember the Pharisees are listening. Jesus told them this story. And um, he's basically just said, there's this young boy. He's been incredibly rude to his father. And now he's coming back. And they're all going, <laughs> yeah, well, you, <laughs> you wait. He's going to get it. But actually, you heard the story. You know the story. The, the boy gets back. He's trying to prepare his speech. And he sees his father running towards him because his father's been looking and waiting, and hoping, and longing for him to come back. And you see, when you drift, when I drift, God is looking, and hoping, and waiting, and longing uh, for you to come back. Because he wants you home. Your Father in heaven wants you home. And he doesn't sort of, he, the, the guy can't really even, see, he gets the first bit of his speech out, but quick, get him at the best robe. And that's probably his own best clothes, by the way, that he gives his son. Uh, he said, put a ring on his finger. That's a sign of authority and restoration. And sandals on his feet, that's actually a sign of not being a slave uh, and actually being in the family. So it's, it's, it's symbols of this restoration. And in this, what you see is the heart of God. And uh, actually, the, the love of God and the forgiveness of God and the grace of God and the heart of God for lost people, for this lost son. And this is who God is. You know, it breaks my heart when I speak to people. And uh, have you ever heard people say, oh, I could never come to church. God, I'm too bad. Oh, I could never come. You don't know what I've done. Oh, I couldn't. You, God would never forgive me. And, and this is just not true. That actually God's arms are welcome to all, and he's longing and waiting and hoping for people uh, to come back. Now this uh, story, I guess then, is also about uh, not just doing life in your own resources, not just about who God is, it's also about how we all have this tendency to get lost. We, we all have a tendency to get lost. And basically, uh, you see this in the... Uh, interactions, the story is told, um, and Jesus is effectively saying to the Pharisees, uh, you're lost. <laughs> you're actually lost. They are the elder son in the story. And uh, what's their reaction, actually, to Jesus going after the lost? Uh, are they looking and longing and waiting? And No, they're, they're very, very annoyed that he is basically... Um, going uh, to forgive this boy and actually what's obvious is that they're lost. So this father has two lost sons, the younger and the elder. It's clear they have no experience of the love of God in their lives. They just, they just not, the elder son in the story is not experiencing the love of God at all. And uh, you see that in that they're actually offended by Jesus for what he's doing. They have no real companionship with God. Uh, the elder son, how does he describe his, he, he describes himself as a, as, a, as a slave. Well, that's not a very healthy father-son relationship. So he has no companionship. They have no experience of the life of God. They actually look good on the outside. Jesus talks to them about that elsewhere. But there, there, there's no, there's no uh, experience of life of God within them at all. Uh, and they're miserable, they're legalistic, they're duty-bound, they're self-righteous. And uh, also, they certainly have no joy. They're mean-spirited, and, uh, you know, they won't celebrate. 
and the eldest son is left outside. You don't really know. It's one of the most chilling things in the New Testament. The eldest son is left outside the party, and um, you never know whether he goes in, whether he's going to go in and join the party. So I want to wrap this up because I want to leave us time to worship and respond to this and, and wait on God and have some prayer. But, you know, uh, the final thing I want to say is this story is also about how you get found. Okay? This is about how you get found. Now, um, I think if you're going to get found, you've got to identify where you are in this story uh, and who you uh, actually um, relate to most. Is it the younger son? Is it the elder son? You know, where, where are you? You've got to identify where you are. They're both lost. One is doing the wild thing. The other is doing the self-righteous, duty-bound thing, which looks good on the outside, but is actually the, there's no heart, there's no connection, there's no intimacy uh, with God. That's the first thing you need to do. Secondly, I want to suggest you need to come to the Father's party, and you need to come back to God and uh, just remind yourself, as this story does, that God is a good God. He's for you, not against you. Not, not, uh, he's actually shown that in Jesus on the cross. But also, he, he wants to celebrate. And uh, he's a party God. His first, parable, his first miracle was to turn water into wine. Think about that, how scandalous that was, or, or revolutionary that was, as a picture of what God's like. So you need to come back to the party. And, and third, I want to encourage us. Actually, we need to do a Jesus. The whole point of this story, is we need to do a Jesus and be people who actually look for lost people. That's what we need to do. And, you know, a litmus test of where you're at is, is, you know, who are you praying for? How passionate are you? If Jesus was here, he'd probably say, how passionate are you for people who don't know him? How passionate are you to see people come to faith? You know, who are you praying for? And I'm including myself in this. Who are you fasting for to actually your friends, uh, be they uh, at college or work or uh, social friends, on your street, you know, who, who are you really, really longing to see come to faith? You know, when, when did you last speak about Jesus to someone? Now, it could be you did that this morning or this afternoon. So the, the, I'm not making assumptions here, but actually... When we do these things, actually, what we do is we experience God's love, his uh, companionship, uh, his life, and his joy. And that's really the point of this story.